Pod Vanguard. I'm Andrea Gazetta. I'm Katrina Davis. And I'm Jordan Williams. And with us we have... Paige Wesley. Hi. Yay. 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 <laughs> Page part three. Page part three. Welcome, Paige. Dream Warriors. This is our sweet cult podcast, Pod Vanguard crossover episode for Frank Lloyd Wright part three. And what, what? Uh, I'm really fucking excited about this. I want you all to know how angry I am at Frank Lloyd Wright and how many cool. things I had to leave out of the story just because I read a 600-page book and he's quite the bastard. So, mm. quick recap. Where we last left our dastardly duo in 1928, Frank Lloyd Wright and his unwed mistress, Olgavana, were threatening were threatened with bankruptcy and eviction from Taliesin if they did not pay the substantial amount of money owed. Frank's former wife Miriam had put up quite the legal battle and much of his assets were tied up in a trust to pay her alimony. This is where Frank nice. Lloyd Wright, drawing on the examples of his spinster aunts, the Gurdjieff movement, and any huckster on social media promising to teach you the secrets to make your art business profitable had the idea that would ultimately save him from bankruptcy to charge gullible young people a bunch of money for the pleasure of learning how to be successful at the very thing he was not financially successful at. What up? <laughs> it's a genuine bona fide monorail. Monorail, monorail. Yes. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah, if that sounds like art school, it's good. Maybe it those people is. in Shelbyville know more about art. It's more no, of a Shelbyville idea. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what Shelbyville is, but I don't I love that Shelby. thing. <laughs> it's, it's a reference to an episode of The Simpsons modeled after Music Man, which very similarly is about someone who cannot do, therefore trying to teach. Uh, so, you know, what it do. Yeah, Frank Lloyd Wright is pretty much the music man of architecture. That's a pretty solid comparison. Um, nice. Wright's early school conceptions did not place him as the teacher. In truth, he was more interested in being sort of an omnipotent chairman of the board whose reputation of genius the school would be built on rather than a real teacher that would have to teach architecture <laughs> i know no one can see this because it's an audio medium but you just did air quotes around teacher and architecture and it was pretty great yeah that's like because... the architecture itself isn't real well yeah, like what even are buildings as we'll see his architecture is loose and fast so we'll get well, into it's it not like it's not like the fundamental education system has been his strong suit thus far. No. He's pretty much like skated no. by that every turn. Yeah. That's true. So he stood it, on the backs of his gay lovers who are better at architecture than him. Yeah. yeah. Pretty That's much. We've seen a lot I of. mean, and it more it, like came to the backs. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Wright originally proposed the school as an offshoot that would be funded by UW-Madison, the same institution that he had spent two semesters at and left without graduating from. But for some reason, <laughs> the combination of him not having an architecture degree and his innumerable personal scandals did not garner the support he desired. So they didn't want him to teach architecture they were like uh no we're good actually 
And so we tend to focus on teachers who have finished. <laughs> <laughs> and he's just like, go Bruins. <laughs> like, what is happening? I mean, he'd finished, but like not architecturally. You know what I mean? No, there just like up inside that mistress though. Yeah. <laughs> What's up? So the big problem with that is that Wright had already purchased a huge tract of land next to Taliesin to build his school using money borrowed from a friend. And now with no deal with the university and no real income, he was more under the gun than ever. Oh, my God. Perfect picture for a cult. Why didn't he start the school inside Taliesin like every mom I know that watched kids? Well, that's about (laughs) together. Put a baby gate up for your bedroom and keep it moving. Like, why did he buy more property? So that's some basically crackers and make it work. <laughs> that's basically his plan. But so this was something that was really popular in the like 1800s and 1900s. It's actually something that the glass studio I used to work for did. Um, something that they were doing a lot of is that they would there would be like a centralized campus. And instead of having a lot of buildings nearby, they would have, say, like an art campus that was far away. And whoever was the director of like that art school would live nearby and all the students would live in that area. So it was sort of like an offshoot that was funded by the university and students were funneled there by the university. But it was accredited and officially part of the university. So that's what he was trying to do. And instead he just... Oh, so he was like banking on them filtering people in and they were like, nah. Yeah, pretty much. And banking on them funding it. So like he has the land and is like, wouldn't a cool building look cool Oh, he doesn't even have the building. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I forgot about the building part. Yeah, so he has (laughs) Taliesin. I forgot about the building part of this architecture school. (laughs) No, it's like an outdoor experience. We're doing the Montessori of uh, architecture school here. It's more of a wilderness (laughs) architecture school. (laughs) You guys have no idea how fucking right you are. That's what's so upsetting. (laughs) Love it. That's exactly what's about to go down. Uh, So on October 29th, some crazy things happened. October 29th, 1929, which is that the stock market crashed. Um, So the entire landscape of all of America changed. And there were like no architectural jobs. Like Wright already was not doing well because of all the scandals. And now he was just like, there's, he was making no money. But luckily on January 3rd, Miriam Noel died, leaving Wright free to liquidate the alimony trust that had been set aside for her and use the $15,000 worth of assets to pay off the mortgage on the extra land he had bought for the school that didn't exist yet. Now he just needed students. (laughs) (laughs) He's like the deadbeat of all deadbeats, and I kind of love it. Yes, he's so lucky. This is like the architectural version of how Clark Gable became famous. Can we prove he didn't kill her? Like, I'm just like throwing it out there. Is he... Where was he at the time? I like how and- Andrea immediately was like, no, we can't. We can't She's already it. on board for the theater. It's the olden days. <laughs> alibis are dog shit. I mean, an alibi is just like a wink and a whisper. Like, you have no idea. But like, <laughs> she... And that whisper was... I'm very poor and needed money. That was the whisper. She was conveniently on the edge of a cliff. 
She was also a heroin addict. It, was so. she older? Oh, oh, okay. So oh, yeah, just hot was she older her. or no? She was older than him by quite a bit, and she was also a heroin addict. So it was kind of a thing where it was just like she wasn't doing so hot. It's not a huge surprise that she suddenly died, but like it's very convenient. Yeah, it is. But even the idea of him, I know that he probably wasn't planning a long con this hard, but to just be like hanging out in an opium den and see a slightly older lady and be like, I feel like I'm going to need this in a couple of years. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> like just just looking at an invisible camera and being like, my God, I've done it again. <laughs> kind of married her just to Fontalias. Like he remember he kind of married her just because he was like, I'm sad and alone. You'll do. And you have money. Yeah. Great. Like that was it. So it's just He's kind of like, like lily padding from person to person. Yeah. Absolutely. And do you take life insurance to be your lawfully <laughs> wedded? Yeah. Well yeah, yeah. this guy just keeps jumping from like mistress funerals and children funerals to the next uh the next bed. Yeah, he's Pretty a real black widower for sure. <laughs> yeah, he's, oh, we're going to get into it. But so, okay. So at first, Wright limped through the depression as he had always done by buying everything on credit and not paying creditors. He's just going to do that forever. He doesn't pay his fucking bills. With it's called little... the comedian way of life. <laughs> Pretty much. He's going to move to Los Angeles, live on credit cards, eat ramen, and those little cracker packets I can buy at Rite Aid. I mean, I know tons of art school students that are just like, yeah, my student loans will never be repaid and I give zero fuck. Like, it's just not going to happen. Go fuck yourself. I don't care. Um, With little work available, though, Wright had a lot of free time and he dedicated the next three years of his life to doing what every narcissist does, writing an autobiography that centers himself as the pinnacle of achievement in their field. (laughs) Yes. Oh, big dickin' in buildings. <laughs> the Franklin Wright story. <laughs> if I did it, oh air my quotes gosh, built I... anything. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so funny. fucking good. <laughs> Franklin Wright and Autobiography was published in 1932. At the time, Wright was so strapped for cash, he couldn't afford to mail the six copies his editor sent him to his own children, saying, quote, unless they can buy it, they must wait to read it, end quote. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) Oh, Oh, man. Which is honestly just as well, because in his book, Wright barely mentions his own children, save their name and occupation. Except for his daughter, Iovana, which is the child that he had with Olga Ivana, his most recent wife, which was born out of wedlock. In this book, he paints himself as a wonderful father to this kid and none of the others. <laughs> exactly. Uh, real quick, what's, what's the craziest autobiography everyone's read? Ooh. I don't, I think it's this one. I mean, this isn't an autobiography. <laughs> I mean, Shit. <laughs> Shit. I don't I'll count it. Read. I'll count it. What is it, Paige? What's yours? Oh, Solar Coaster by R. Kelly, a hundred percent. Wait, what is it called? Because I thought you were going to say Ross Perot's. Oh, no, Solar Coaster. We had to we had to read it for a really early cult podcast episode. Yeah, and it is madness, absolute <laughs> madness. Like, wow. like, but also, is it the dictated court documents by are someone? Haunt- 
no so, oh, y- yes because he is illiterate <laughs> yeah, and so he had to right. dictate it to somebody so it's just like stream of consciousness and like each chapter is him just like telling a really dramatic story from his childhood where he's like i fell in love with her when i was nine and then she drowned and you're just like what <laughs> what? what is happening <laughs> Why is every chapter of this where the red fern grows? Like, what's happening? <laughs> Just like weird. It's, it's also like horrifically troubling because of the abuse he had as a child, but he doesn't register how troubling it is. And so there's right. it's like horrific details of abuse next to like pictures of him from like like in the like bulletproof vest from uh bump and grind <laughs> like yes it's like yeah, just it's, nuts. it's so apparent it's the like lack of emotional awareness there is in all yes. this stuff absolutely like and that's the first time i ever touched and then it's just like him squatting next oh. to an escalade and it's like that's not necessary that- I also had to read Manson in his own words when we did Manson. Ooh, and that I was also pretty crazy. I about that. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't his done favorite that. word is pussy. <sighs> yeah. yeah. I, haven't, yeah. I haven't read too many, but the one, the one taste lady, her, like, quote, yes. unquote book was just like, nah. <laughs> well, because also, even when you said autobiographies, I was like, oh, I don't do that because I don't trust people to tell me about themselves. You should never. That's true. <laughs> and you shouldn't. Yeah. Narc- that's. I mean, it's a narcissist's handbook is just write an autobiography. Yeah, that's why it's always like three or four levels down our list of sources on cult podcast is autobiographies because we're just like, I mean, this is what they said, but you can't trust right. them when they say they're Jesus. So, you know. <laughs> Yeah. If you can't trust someone when they say they're Jesus, how can you trust anyone? <laughs> I mean, we got a running list. So, so many people. Um, so, yeah. So Wright positions himself as this amazing doting father father to Iovana, which is pretty hilarious because she could not read or write until she was nine years old because she was homeschooled. So he's not a great dad. He was also violently abusive. So it's just like, no, Um what the autobiography did very well, besides make Wright out to be the father of the year and savior of modern architecture, was to create a culture war. This is what Wright did so brilliantly. He proposed that organic architecture, the, the idea of like integrating family homes into rural landscapes, was a uniquely American idea. And he saw the modernists that were in Germany and the people in the Bauhaus movement, he sort of positioned himself against them as like, they have all these like fascist and communist ideas and I'm American. And like, he just kind of, he he started this line of thinking in this book and it's something that he would continue later on in his life as World War II happened, as those modernists, a lot of them fled to America, as the McCarthyism rose and there was a lot of like scaredness about communism generally. This is something he started here. The idea that organic architecture was an American idea and like something that would be the savior of architecture. And he just kind of kept it going. I like that. He's like organic architecture is uniquely American. Yes. I've been to Japan twice. Don't ask about it. (laughs) I was about to say he's stealing from Japan and then using that to leverage 
against yeah. <laughs> like other European ideals. It's like he's being an international douchebag right now. He absolutely yep. is. And the thing is too, is like what he did that was so smart is he created a sense of urgency. So anytime, this is what Fox News does all the time. It's why my parents are fucking crazy right now. It is, they create wars on democracy that don't exist and then people get really upset and they're like i gotta fight the war i gotta join the cause it's how um it's alex war jones yeah exactly it's how alex jones has yeah. a following it's how all these fucking crazy insane people have this following is they just create a sense of urgency and for the young people that read Wright's book Wright had a solution a call to arms Join him at Taliesin and learn to be an architect from the master himself. It's the buy American it is what it is. It's like uh -huh. there's a war on Christmas. You have to actively say Merry Christmas to people. And it's like retail workers don't give a shit. Nobody yeah. told us what to say. Like, <laughs> I'll say Merry Christmas to you. I don't give a shit. Like, but that's that's what he's creating is this like we are we are the patriotic version and if you care about america and care about us you'll join us yeah right. pretty much um but from the people that he stole ideas from so technically things would have ended up looking the same either way right yeah <laughs> well so he actually his work with organic architecture and having these sloping forms actually predates modernism and a lot of the modernists did take from his ideas, but they further simplified uh -huh. it. So mm -hmm. he believed in the idea that like form and function should exist in harmony with each other, but he still enjoyed some measure of ornamentation and decoration. Whereas the modernists in Europe took his ideas and took completely stripped them bare and were just like, no, you don't need any stuff. And a lot of that is sort of this idea that capitalism is inherently evil and that you don't need a place for stuff. You don't need a closet. You don't need a shelf for your knickknacks because you don't need stuff. Um, Creating the need, right. Absolutely. So in practice, Wright's architectural school was a grift. In his first iteration, Wright proposed that the school would cost about $300 a year for students. But the funny thing is, is every time like a person, a student comes to him is like, oh my God, Mr. Wright, I saw your lecture. I really just want to follow you. He ups that dollar amount. So like <laughs> <laughs> the first couple students pay like $300 a year tuition. And then the next couple students pay like $500 a year tuition. And then the next couple students pay 600. And by the end, it's $675 a year in tuition. And when one student complained that this was $200 a year more than the price of his NYU tuition, Wright <laughs> convinced him that he was getting more than a college education. He was getting a way of life. In Wright's view, architecture was not just a way to build buildings, but a spiritual practice that could only be understood by working with him. See, anybody that tells you that they are the key to your salvation is someone that you need to get away from immediately. Unless it's me. <laughs> or all the people that claim to be Jesus. Uh, this is where Andrea starts her cult. Oh, no. Yes. It's Rick the whole It'd time. Be the, it would be the cutest cult. The real reason I left cult podcast was to start my own, baby. <laughs> she was just doing the research. It was a conflict of it interest. It was a long con. In a different way. <laughs> conflict of interest because we were like gonna cover it. Like 
We were about to expose it. We're like, you like, keep sending us emails about these unicorns and shit, and it's looking a little suspicious. <laughs> they know too much. <laughs> she just leaves a subpoena on your step with like a unicorn horn through it. Like it's like stabbed. <laughs> It's my magic wand. Don't worry about it. In You're practice, summoned to the court of magic dreams. <laughs> Hi, guys. Welcome to court. You're being subpoenaed for being a real meanie. <laughs> You're going to fucking sky jail, Gary. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Then it gets real. I like that. That's a good balance. Oh, my God. I loved those. I loved the Charlie the Unicorn skit in college. That was my shit. I love this so also, much. Also, Andrea, you would leave a unicorn head in someone's bed instead of a horse head. And it was endangered. No. <laughs> instead of so blood, funny. it's just glitter. Glitter. Yes. <laughs> now I want to do that as a bit, like just as a prop. That would be oh, a I, sweet, I definitely sweet. think we should build this. Yeah. We have in the, the criminal time. justice system. Unicorn-based crimes are handled by an elite task force. <laughs> These are stories. <laughs> that was great. Oh my gosh, oh, she's been practicing. So, in practice, Wright's Architecture School was a total grift. We don't even have time to get into everything he did because he lived to be ninety years old, and he was an asshole for all of it. But he That's repeated he was the same. eating the souls of all of his mistresses. That's why they were dying and he lived forever. Yeah, every time they kind find of? a mistress corpse, it's just shriveled up or just like a pool of viscera, like true blood. Just like <laughs> gathering it into chalices. Yeah, I mean, so over and over again, Wright repeated the same patterns for the next 40 years, milking thousands of students out of considerable tuition money and using them as free labor to expand his empire. In the early days of the apprenticeship, students were expected to farm the land, cook, clean the home, build new buildings, and generally toil for 12 or more hours a day. At the height of the depression, there was no architectural work and Wright subsisted only on money from his students and tours of visitors that came to Taliesin all the while reminding students that they were a burden to be fed, even though they were essentially paying him to be there. Oh, don't you love it? Oh, God. it's I mean, he's just the cult handbook. It's so perfect. It's when very did... like Scientology almost, where he's just like, man, I wish you weren't all on this boat, but I wish I still had this boat and all of your money. <laughs> kind of, yeah. When work did arrive, Wright rarely allowed his students into the drafting room, and many of them went years without even touching a pencil. This is a direct quote from the book. Any skepticism was met with the claim that everything they did at Taliesin was part of becoming an architect. After the first year, half his students had left. Wright did not offer refunds. Even <laughs> of course not. Why would he? He already got the money. Honey, That's the your whole money's point. Gone. Like he owes so many people money. Yeah. Yeah. He spent it immediately. Yeah. Yeah. I've got mistresses to feed. What are you doing? I have one kid to acknowledge. <laughs> I can't. You... <laughs> oh my god. This is okay. This is one of my favorite bits. Even Ian Rand 
during a 1945 visit to Taliesin, was sorely disappointed in Wright's establishment. She said of the apprentices, quote, they were like medieval sirs. The menu for his table was different than the menu for his students. We ate fancy delicacies and they got fried eggs. I mean, I kind of like fried eggs, but I see her point. If I and Rand think something is wrong. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like, if I and Rand is like, hey, this seems kind of abusive. It's really abusive because this bitch does not believe in anything good. Like, she's insane. Oh, yeah. One of the biggest issues with Wright's architectural school from the start was that Wright did not have an architecture license. (laughs) He would not have one until 1937. And many of the states he practiced in required one in order to operate as an architect. That means that every hour that his quote-unquote interns spent working for him couldn't count towards their licenses. Wright may have been a passable architect, but he was a horrible engineer, and many of his early homes suffered from glaring structural issues, most famously leaking roofs and skylights. Like, if you look through a ledger of every single homes Frank Lloyd Wright built, almost every single one has multiple building code inspection violations because he didn't follow any fucking rules ever. Like, he just didn't, he just did whatever the fuck he wanted. And, like, things leaked. Things fell down. Like, he just was the worst fucking architect. I did one time get to shoot in a Frank Lloyd Wright house that a, and the lady that owned it was like there hanging out while we were shooting and she was like oh I'm constantly like watching things in here to like make sure that I don't have to like completely redo like she was like I'm always checking for like leaks like a leak happened while we were there and she was like oh that's new da, 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 great like she was talking about all the different parts of the house that have changed since it was original and all that Yeah. A notorious example of Wright's engineering failures is falling water. Um, This is one of Wright's most famous pieces. I'll talk a little bit more about what it was. Uh, In 1935, Edgar Kaufman Sr., the father of one of Wright's apprentices, because again, like the only people who could really afford to go to Wright's school were people that had $675 in the Depression era. So a lot of the students that came there were from incredibly wealthy families and Wright used that to his advantage to milk them for as much as he possibly could and also to make profitable business connections. So Edgar Kaufman Sr. commissioned him to build a summer home on the plot of land he purchased and that land had its own waterfall. According to myth, Wright drafted the entire plans for the building that would become one of his most famous works in two hours choosing to boldly set the home straddling the waterfall instead of next to it. The design posed multiple challenges from the beginning, including the fact that Wright did not include dimensions for the contractors on his designs. So he just, he just drew a drawing. There's no dimension. (laughs) I have no idea how long this wall can actually be, like in terms of structure or like what? dimensions yeah (laughs) i mean that's i inherited a bunch of recipes from my grandmother that have no amounts where it's like one package of meat (laughs) i'm like what size (laughs) (laughs) you know go down and get a package yeah a can of beans 
what size can? Like, what are we doing That's here? So uh, but and it's maddening. So I can't even imagine trying to make a structure that would stay standing with no dimensions. That's crazy. Well, what he did, he he had like one or two dimensions and then he was like, it's built to scale. Like, don't worry about it. But in a lot of ways, he kind of did it on purpose because he knew that if he included dimensions and he included structural support, then he was liable. And instead of being liable for it, he was like, well, that'll be the contractor's problem. And then if it fails, I can blame them. So he kind right. of knew that it was bad, but he didn't Oh, pass the buck FLW. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm looking at pictures of it right now because I just like had to see it. And it's yeah. It's, it's fucking gorgeous. Like, oh, I'm like, it's, it's cool. This tickles my mid-century bone hard. Oh, I yeah. love it. It looks, here's the thing. It looks awesome. It yeah. structurally, not so not great. Sound. <laughs> uh, yeah. One of the apprentices was charged with overseeing the project on site and was constantly improvising and adding structural support as the contractors came to him with questions because none of the engineering was figured out ahead of time by Wright. Something Wright would do again and again in his designs in, and barely get right was called a cantilever. A cantilever is basically a design element that lacks visible structural support. When you build a deck, for example, it's common to see the supports at the corners of the deck. Wright hated this, so he would cantilever or, or, or extend the deck without visible support to the corners, and it looks super magical to everyone. Like, it looks really cool. It's like, oh my god, it's so, like, suspended, and it feels right. like it's just sort of undulating into the, <laughs> into the landscape, um, except he didn't engineer it, so it would actually work. Unfortunately, Wright hadn't really resolved any of the engineering issues, and when the concrete was poured for the foundation, the deck sank two inches out of level as soon as they pulled the forms off of the concrete, oh, which God. is pretty fucking bad. Two oh, feet? Two inches. But it means two that inches. it's tilted. So basically, like, if you took a ball and just set it down, it would just start rolling because well, it's not level. Two inches worth of angle to Yeah. Now your house like just got standing. a ghost. Basically. <laughs> yeah. And so for people who haven't poured concrete before, you build, like, a form. You build, like, a wooden form, and then you pour the concrete inside of it because it starts as liquid and then it hardens. Um, and it's pretty normal to have about a half inch of sink when when you set concrete like generally it'll sort of because of the weight of it it's going to sink into the ground but two and a half or sorry two inches out of level is way too much it's really bad that is that is like a uh do you guys know about the building in san francisco the the skyscraper yes. that got built a couple years ago it's yep. it's not level and it's literally <laughs> leaning Oh. to the side and it is not structurally sound enough to be the building that they wanted it to be so now they have to figure out how to fix it but it's because it has similar problems oh no so two inches on a building yeah because buildings in san francisco are also usually built to sway for earthquakes yes. yeah mm -hmm. and now it's also leaning so it's just like it almost <laughs> like it's like they made it more likely to fall over oh yeah <laughs> people bad. in there now would just like 
crooked desks and stuff or you can't no one, use it. it's not structurally it. sound enough to live in uh, because it is literally so leaning at, at almost like a 30 degree angle and it's oh because it is off at just this it's probably two inches off on the base yeah. and just because as you it's get straight taller criminal yeah, yeah. sam fran see two <laughs> inches is a lot okay guys don't worry about it i mean that's why when i when i was in pisa they like alternate on whether or not they'll let you go up in the tower and when i was there at the time they let you go up but literally months later they were like it got really rainy and so we're not so sure right now oh that's interesting so like i got really lucky but like depending on when you go sometimes you can go up sometimes you can't so yeah well, and that's what's terrifying about building on top of a waterfall because if you're <laughs> you have to go in and actually do tests on the ground to make sure that it will not liquefy in water because it will take your house down yeah and yeah. that is a huge problem that's what I was thinking, Andre, when you, because I've seen pictures of it, but when you said out loud over the waterfall, I know that there's like rock kind of on either side, but yeah, what is that soil up there? So what he basically did is he poured two forms on the sides and then they sink into the ground. Then they lift like a platform that goes above the waterfall. And then I think that you can like see the waterfall through like glass in the floor is how it works so right. that you can like be uh. a part of it. Um, but the problem is just that like one, like the, when they set the top, it like shifted. So the whole, the whole building isn't level really. Oh shit. So it's just, it's really bad. Uh, and, and another, I mean, oh, sorry, go ahead Paige. Like, Oh, sorry. Our our honeymoon suite was in a room that was designed to look like a cave and it had no flat or level surfaces. And we were there for three days and it was maddening. And like to the point where like we celebrated our anniversary and I was like, hey, we can stay in the same room. And my husband was like, never again. So like, imagine if you lived there full time. Yeah. Anywhere. Yeah. Well, in addition to everything rolling constantly, uh, the skylights leak, the foundation isn't stable, and the placement atop the waterfall promotes mold growth. So there's just so much moisture in the home that it's constantly molding and they have to like clean it all the time. And like the whole inside just smells like moldy and gross. <laughs> oh, that's so <laughs> Did anybody ever suggest them folding a two-inch piece of paper and just tucking it under <laughs> one side? Just get a couple playing cards, stack them, and then put it under the corner of the deck. Foundation, no problem. We just get a bucket of shims and see what's good. Oh my god! Well, and yeah, it sounds like they I just mean, need some damp red. Yeah, the funniest thing too is so like when his apprentice was pouring it like right before he poured it he's like oh shit this isn't enough structure and he added some uh steel structure inside the concrete for structure and when the forms were pulled right blamed the sag on the extra weight of the steel beams and everyone else is like, no, that's the only reason this is even standing. Like, it is definitely not because of this. Yeah, they're like, architecture can't melt steel beams. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, would have like, immediately collapsed without that guy, probably. 
Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly what would have happened. It's real, it's real bad. Um, Wright lost so many clients because over and over again, he would lie to them, argue with them, and generally ignore criticism. He would do things such as design homes too short for tall people. Design yeah. homes. It's about damn time. Stick it to the tall. He just because didn't he respect never included, anyone. Well, he also Dimensions. never included dimension. Right. <laughs> right. You're right. It's up to somebody else to know how tall standard ceilings are supposed to be. Yeah. yeah. He just didn't respect anyone over six foot, basically. He was just like, go fuck yourself. I don't give a shit. He's like, hey, like, five foot two is pretty average and most women are happy with that. And I won't hear anything <laughs> differently. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, he would also design homes without closets. He would design homes that were three or four times the allocated budget. He would design homes without dimensions or structural support. And one time for a very wealthy set of clients, he designed a house with a bedroom that was just outside. Like, he was like, you can sleep out here. And they're like, we want a house with a roof. Okay, so... but, like, I want you to think of how great a Property Brothers-style show of this would be. <laughs> like, like, he's just watching the bad designs. Just having them be like, what do you think of your new home? And you're like, I'm sorry, is my bed fucking outside? Like, what are you doing? We're over budget. We drained your pool and didn't replace it. Your bed also, is outside. You have no roof. Yeah, your bed is outside. Your nightstand has moss on it. Roof can't leak if you don't have a roof. What up? <laughs> Problem solved. Solved it. Oh. oh, were you mad that my home was not tall enough for tall people? Fuck y'all, no roofs. I'm taking the doors off. <laughs> Everybody was complaining about these skylights. I'll make God your skylights. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he really just did not give a fuck. And to make matters worse, daily life at Taliesin was a war between Frank Lloyd Wright and his wife, Olga Ivana. Wright saw himself as a great master, and Olga Ivana was constantly trying to impose her own will and the teachings of her former master, Georgie Gurdjieff, onto students behind Wright's back. Olga Ivana believed that orgasms benefited creativity and would often bring it up to students unprompted. But the issue... <laughs> I was with her until it was unprompted. I was like, I mean, that sounds about right. And then she's just like, have you heard of our Lord and Savior, the orgasm? <laughs> Here's the thing. That was such a key part of that sentence. Un <laughs> Unprompted. Man, ladies come up to me asking me to be a Jehovah's Witness at the laundromat all the time. If somebody came up to me asking me if I knew the power of coming, I would probably at least like take an earbud out. <laughs> hey girl, can I hand you this pamphlet about the Hitachi magic wand? Have a great day. Peace Here's be with you. Here's the problem page. Olgivana believed that masturbation would make it impossible for someone to develop a soul. So these <laughs> orgasms had to come through Whoa. intercourse. Oh, man. I mean, that means some people never have souls. But also, I've heard a lot of things about souls. I have never heard that one develops over time. And yeah, it's kind of a like you just have kind of body fluid. <laughs> What? Yeah, according to Gurdjieff's teachings, you could only develop a soul over time by like 
finding yourself. It was this whole, I mean, we kind of talked it a little bit in the last episode, but it's so much mumbo jumbo bullshit that was basically like, give me a lot of money and follow me and I'll give you answers. It was such a fucking grift. And he just said all this crazy bullshit and this was one of them and she fucking believed him. And that was it. Like, <laughs> And just took it with her for the rest of her <laughs> yeah. days. Yeah. Was she sleeping with him? Because like, you know how cult leaders do. Here's the thing. Olga Ivana was not sleeping with Gurdjieff. She was sleeping with her husband, Frank Lloyd Wright. She oh. would claim that Frank Lloyd Wright, even into his 90s, had such a solid sex drive that they would sometimes have to have sex two or three times a day. This is what she claims. <laughs> How would- what that dick do to Frank Lloyd Wright's story? <laughs> like, how do you have the time to be an architect? Albeit, even if you're not an architect, you're not building any buildings. The only thing that's going up is your dick, not any of your projects. I would say his dick is the only thing that had structural support in his career. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. Its turgidity is the structural support. Yes. So, but then imagine tiny scaffolding around it. Oh, <laughs> uh, and then when I'm it basically starts to the invisible beam in an archway, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, when it starts to lean, he's like, "You can't it- climb it right now. It's not safe." <laughs> That's why he didn't care about that two inches. He was like, you know, people don't complain about a little bit of an angle. I don't know what everyone. <laughs> hey, Megan the Stallion wrote that song about how an angle or a curve is good. So I'm gonna yeah, take her yeah. word for it. That shit is true as fuck. <laughs> so the problem with this is that although the fellowship was technically co-ed, the ratio of men to women was way off. And a big reason for that is that Frank Lloyd Wright was a sexist fuck. And female students often left because they couldn't get a chance at the drafting board and were instead relegated to cooking, sewing, and childcare duties. It led in many instances to unplanned pregnancies between the fellowship students and the young women in the neighboring townships. Because they wanted to have souls. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Also, every time you say the fellowship, I'm like, how are they going to get that ring to Mordor? So, you know. (laughs) This school is basically a Navy ship that never leaves port. They're just <laughs> yeah. forever yes. fleet week. <laughs> yes, pretty much. Um, in order to curb the public outcry, Olgavana encouraged the female apprentices to have as many partners as possible and to keep it within the fellowship in order to keep the men happy. More than a few male apprentices who returned to the compound with their wives would leave after Olga Vada took their wives aside and asked them to sleep with other fellowship members. Yeah, she was just like, well, you're here and you you should fuck some other people. And then they'd be like, oh, honey, she said this. And they'd be like, bye. So and the other fellowship actively... members are like, you have my bow and my axe and my <laughs> dick. Yeah. Yeah. And there were no fucking <laughs> refunds. None. <laughs> no refunds. Absolutely none. But also a pretty sick passive aggressive way to get rid of a girlfriend if you're They're gonna keep my money. What am I gonna do? Gonna throw right. away six hundred and fifty dollars? It's post depression. Do you want an engagement ring or do you wanna like leave? Like I mean, it's up to you. I'm not gonna Money don't grow on trees. This house is going to when I finish drawing it. <laughs> <laughs> 
but you know. There's actually trees growing out of it. It's very moldy in here. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> also, there's full on bugs. Like that's my main complaint with the house and the lake house that has a tree in the middle of it. I'm like, bugs. All the bugs. Yeah, I'm not anyway. I'm not here for it. Um another solution to this sexual problem was to encourage the young men to have sex with each other. Which wasn't really an issue for a lot of the young men who were already homosexual or bisexual, but it did lead to some orgies on the Taliesin lawn under the moonlight, and the neighbors started to talk, and it was like a whole thing. Uh, so I take started- it back. This sounds awesome. <laughs> <laughs> this sounds this sounds like a True Blood episode, and I'm here for it. Taliesin, well- Taliesin, you never go out the way you went in. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> so a big problem too was that Olga Ivana would like show young apprentices like how to have sex with each other and would even encourage people that identified as heterosexual to have sex with same-sex partners because they needed it. Um and one of the problems was that some of the men who were homosexual were predatory in their homosexuality and were like groping and like coming into other people's rooms at night and people had to start locking their doors and it got to be really kind of scary and shady and pretty gross um wait question is she participating in any of this or is she just trying to push it on everyone else all the time she's pushing it on everyone else she's claiming that right is she is having a vibrant sex life with right the whole time and in addition to that the thing was though is like Right in Olgavana's relationship was incredibly abusive. Um, he would just fly off the handle. He was constantly screaming at her. He was physically violent towards her. Uh, at one point, Iovana came back from traveling abroad and her dad was screaming at her mother and she like punched him in the face because she was afraid that he was going to hurt her because he would like physically assault her. So he was a violent man and he was physically abusive to Ogivana. So she did seek comfort emotionally from some of the other apprentices, but there's no evidence that she was ever sexual with them. She was only sexual with Wright. Okay. So Wright's own feelings about homosexuality are really complicated. When he writes about his desire for starting his school, He said, quote, I have longed for and still long for enlightened comradeship and the goodwill of my kind. And if you remember from our last episode, comradeship had a veiled meaning at this time, which often referred to romantic, though not necessarily sexual relationships with men. Wright was privately accepting of homosexuality, but publicly denounced it as degenerate. Many of Wright's close friends and apprentices were gay And many people thought that he had been more than friends with Cecil Corwin and even Lewis Sullivan, though he would adamantly deny it. It's really extra surprising because he didn't build closets. (laughs) (laughs) You can't come out if you don't have a closet. (laughs) You never went in to begin with. I'm just saying. The bedroom outside was just his like hyper... (laughs) like no closets no bedroom just everybody outside nothing nothing <laughs> yeah this is the worst episode of trading spaces ever <laughs> oh my god trading yo trading spaces i forgot about that show that was a good fucking show i like that show. show yeah the host had a real cool name liked it a lot Shit. 
So Wright felt that those who gave in to homosexual urges were weak-willed and primitive. Personally, I think that Wright was bisexual and his refusal to come to terms with it is part of why he was openly so harsh about it. I think that he understood that being labeled as homosexual or even bisexual would be a detriment to his career. Um, And I also think that at his core, Frank Lloyd Wright was a narcissist. In his own words, Frank Lloyd Wright confessed that his greatest weakness was, quote, an unconcern for others as people in their own right. End quote. I mean, hey, like he's self-aware. That that is pretty terrifying to hear someone say, like, matter of factly, (laughs) but my God. Yeah, that's like the seasoning in a serial killer soup. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Oh my goodness. But also that is and I don't know if I'm gonna explain this right, but calling homosexuality weak-willed and primitive sounds like somebody who likes to fuck dudes and doesn't want to like to fuck dudes. You know what I mean? Like to call it weak-willed, why would it be weak-willed if you didn't want to do it? Like he's, that's like the most telling description I've ever heard of homosexuality. He's the dude who's like, oh no, it's just two friends helping each other out. (laughs) (laughs) Guys being dudes, I'm telling you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's more doodly than putting a dick in your mouth? It's the most manly. And also, I love the idea of him being um, concerned with his reputation as if he had such a great one <laughs> to begin with. It's right. not that bad already. Like, like, you can barely build anything that stands and all you do is take people's money. Like, what are you trying to maintain here exactly? And their uh, wives. And their wives. <laughs> yeah, and their wives. The thing is... Over and over again, Wright gets published. And, you know, because he's publishing his own autobiography and because he has all of these people, he becomes friends with all these students, parents who are very wealthy. He lands all these jobs. Despite the fact that over and over again, his buildings are failing, he continues to work throughout his life. Just like he gets written up as like in the better homes. He gets written up in all these like famous magazines at his school gets all this attention like it's crazy i think personally just building little foundational fire fests all over the place just <laughs> pretty much it up this building is the two slices of american cheese on white bread of the architectural <laughs> world and they yeah. are soft they are yeah. sinking <laughs> he would get that evie on water i'm just saying <laughs> I think that Wright just liked attention. I think that Wright was a narcissist. And I think that having gay men around him that were kind of into him fed his narcissism, whether or not those were sexual urges that he wanted to act on. I think that's really what it's about. Like a lot of the apprentices at Taliesin were gay. A lot of his best apprentices were gay. um, And he never really had a problem with it unless it got back to him and started Mm. to sort of like affect his reputation. Like moonlight orgies on the front lawn? Yeah. That's when it was <laughs> like, mean, okay, we got to tone it down. That's what was, that, that was the like last straw for Jack Parsons when he got fired from Aerojet. So, you know, it happened. <laughs> yeah. The right cult had a lot of rules. And although it pretended to be an architecture school, the first rule was that the only real architect was Frank Lloyd Wright. 
For a while, as business was booming and Wright had too many jobs to keep track of, Wright allowed his apprentices to take on side jobs. All that changed when one apprentice agreed to a job, and when it was inspected, the craftsmanship was better than Wright's. When the client remarked to Wright how happy they were with the fact that the roof didn't leak, he announced to the fellowship that there would be no more side work. Damn. <laughs> yeah, he basically... Like that, that stunned us into silence. <laughs> hmm He basically, he for a while, he was like, well, you can do side work, but you just have to, like, bring it into the fellowship. So basically, like architectural students would work on their own time to do things and then they would give him a portion of the money if not most of the money and he was like okay this is cool but then as soon as someone did a better job than him he was like okay shut it down and that's what i was wondering if at any point despite his lack of knowledge or information to even share to begin with if someone was going to like accidentally become a decent architect there (laughs) It's the Music Man problem all over again. <laughs> well, you have there's to remember. One, there's one architect kid in there that's like, you know what? All this coming actually is helping me. I- <laughs> <laughs> Last night it came so hard I made a right angle. What's going on? <laughs> Got some great sketches out after that last lawn orgy. <laughs> the problem, too, is you have to remember some of these students had previous architectural training. Some of them had even graduated from architectural schools but had chosen to apprentice under Wright. So some of them did have more engineering and architectural experience than Wright himself, which is probably why their roof didn't leak. Um, (laughs) Oh my God. I also love that that was what made him shut it down. (laughs) Yeah. He was just like, no, they're better than me because their roof doesn't leak. This is ridiculous. Like what? Yeah. And how about just ask them how they made the roof that didn't leak since they're your <laughs> apprentice. I'm pretty sure the reason is they were an architect. <laughs> yeah. He's like, when did you learn this? And he he's like, third semester. He's like, ah, I almost made it. Yeah. <laughs> no. That's what the problem is. There were a few, I think. By the time Frank Lloyd Wright died, there were like two or three people that were still part of the fellowship that had actually gotten architectural license licenses. And so they were able to sort of like carry on after his death. But for the most part, like they didn't have an architectural license or a degree or anything Um, at. And they just got like University of Phoenix and then had to what start all over somewhere else. Basically. Yeah. Which they can because they're a phoenix. (laughs) Phoenix is always more. It's in the title. (laughs) I wasn't even going to get into this, but okay. So this whole time, like he's, he's grifting all these students. Frank Lloyd Wright decides that Wisconsin is kind of cold. So as soon as he gets money from falling water, he actually built a whole other Taliesin West in Scottsdale, Arizona, which still stands today. And every year they would travel in the winter from Wisconsin to Arizona and spend the winter there because it was too cold. There was a huge issue where like they didn't have water for three years because everyone's like, hey, there's no water there. And he's like, I'm a fine water. And he spent $10,000 to get water. Yeah. (laughs) 
But didn't it was like Manson, this- didn't Manson have a similar issue in the desert? Why does everyone go <laughs> to the desert and think it, water's gonna well, appear? See, here's the thing. Manson had no logistical planning. He just wanted to make dune buggies out of Volkswagens. And so when they got to Spawn Ranch, I think they saw the cabins and were like, perfect. And then realized it was a movie ranch, which means that the cabins aren't Man, real. real. <laughs> yeah. That is the problem. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. So like Wright kept doing this thing where creditors would be like, hey, you borrowed a bunch of money to build this thing. We need that money back and be like, yeah, 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 for sure. And then just never pay them and then just go buy more shit. So he bought like this whole other estate. He bought a whole bunch more land around Taliesin. This whole time he's just like buying shit, not paying people. It's a fucking problem. And the reason that he got away with it so long is because he filed as a school. And so he filed for tax exempt status. Did he follow up with that and continue to pay taxes or file taxes and maintain that tax exempt status? No, he did not. He just stopped filing taxes because he thought he was tax exempt. Um, That's the important part. Just ask David Miscavige. Yeah. I was about to say, Reagan did that too. (laughs) (laughs) Not only did Reagan do that, they built an entire new governor's mansion in California that they never fucking lived in. Like Nancy Reagan was decorating it by the time he ended up out of office and they were just like, Oops, millions of dollars down the drain. They're horrible people. They're horrible people. Yeah, they suck. Historically, (laughs) some of the worst people. (laughs) They suck. Yeah, Um, pretty bad. So if we back back to back to Taliesin real quick, at every turn, Wright sought to undermine the careers of his apprentices. Apprentices that left to pursue their own practices were mocked openly, refused letters of recommendation, and when they did finally earn their own clients, Wright would often write to them, shattering their confidence and in many cases convincing them to return to the fellowship, bring the clients and bring the earnings. He was oh, so God. good at roping people in. People would get out and they'd come back because he'd basically be like, you can't do this without me. And he'd be like, I've already done it without you. We all know more yeah. about architecture than you now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know how to build roofs. Yeah. And also, yeah. we are never ever... No. <laughs> uh, but... That's really sad. It's a cult thing too. It happens a lot. Yes. It's such a cult so thing. This is like the third thing Andrea said that I have been like, mm, this is mad reminiscent of some cult shit that either Jim mm-hmm, Jones mm-hmm. has done or someone else. Wright would do these things too. Wright was incredibly abusive. You know, he was abusive to his wife, he was abusive to his students. You, everyone was kind of on eggshells at all times seeking his approval. He would go on these like violent temper tantrums if he wasn't getting the attention he wanted. He would, um, if someone did something that he didn't like, he would like scream at them and tell them they had to leave until they like apologize. So he is constantly being a problem and making everyone around him bow to his will. Um, and that's, I think, part of how he was able to get those people to come back is he's just eroded their sense of self. You know, like people just believe like, oh, I'm nothing. I need his approval. And being in with right meant like, oh, you get to work on a cool job or you get to actually learn something about architecture. So people were constantly people pleasing and trying to get in his good graces. Mm. Um, right was so shitty as a teacher, quote unquote, that he even signed drawings that his apprentices had given him as birthday gifts as if it was his own drawing to take credit for it. 
Whoa. Wow. Yeah, Damn. he's a real piece of shit. <laughs> Despite not receiving any credit, many of Wright's buildings would not be standing if it were not for his apprentices changing things, doing engineering calculations behind his back. And the fact is that his legacy only exists because of his apprentices, many of which he never credits. In addition to giving their lives, many apprentices gave their fortunes to Wright. Wes Peters is one such example. He married Svetlana, which is Wright's stepdaughter, and gave his entire inheritance to buying parts of Taliesin to keep it from creditors. That Svetlana would later die. Peters would marry another Svetlana, which is Joseph Stalin's daughter. Yo! Whoa, what? (laughs) Whoa, whoa, no, yo! Hold up. Hold up. (laughs) Stalin has entered the chat. What is happening? (laughs) I'm sorry, okay. Stalin has entered the chat. So this is so, oh my God, so much crazy fucking shit happens. I wanted to do a part four, but they're just, I don't want to even talk about this guy any longer because he's such a piece of shit. (laughs) But like, so Svetlana and Wes Peters, the longest time they leave Taliesin, they elope when they're 16. Svetlana isn't even old enough to get married yet. They decide they're going to get married. She winds up like living with another family. So they're not living in sin. As soon as she turns old enough, they get married. They come back to Taliesin after having escaped And after Wes Peters has said, like, this guy's a piece of shit, like, he doesn't teach us anything, he, like, got sucked back in. So they had this, like, very, again, like, a contentious and abusive relationship. Wes Peters uh, was physically abusive to Svetlana. It was shitty. But she was Wright's stepdaughter. And so in a way, he had sort of, like, married into the family. He, He used all the inheritance he got when his father died to, like, build part of Taliesin. And so he was so invested in it by that time financially that he couldn't really leave even after his wife died. She just died randomly in a car accident. Um, she was driving a Jeep, which are notoriously, the old Jeeps especially have a really high center of gravity. So they tip over really easily. Mm-hmm. And she was with her two sons and the one of the sons had brought his kitten and the kitten climbed up onto her and like scratched her and scared her and she like flipped the car over and only the son who had brought the kitten survived was his grandmother not, it's how pretty messed up not been the beginning of a stephen king movie yet that's, <laughs> that's i think sad, it is this is just like hell. his inspiration for pet cemetery i think that's crazy also it's super messed up parallel Second parallel, uh, Jeeps also don't have roofs, so. Yeah, <laughs> oh, that's Jeeps. true. Yeah. yeah. These people yeah. need to get with roofs <laughs> as a concept. As a it's, concept. It's probably why she died, because she snapped her neck, because there was no roof to protect her when the car rolled. So oh. it's pretty dark, and it's pretty messed up. And the worst part about it, too, is that since their mother since his mother was dead the youngest son who had survived the car wreck olgivana would blame him he's like five years old she told him that it was his fault that his mom died because he shouldn't have brought his kitten so she's just a fucked up bitch too um but after that happened for years like wes peters was sad he like he was like oh shit i was shitty to her and she died oh no i'm a piece of shit and Olga Ivana kept trying to like contact her spirit. And so 
when Stalin's daughter, who is named Svetlana, escaped to America and sought asylum, she didn't have any people to be with because Stalin had actually killed, murdered her mother because her mother had spoken publicly, like said something to Stalin, like, I don't agree with you publicly. Right. Like, and I so think had we should murdered. have roofs. Yeah, okay. Yeah, something like that. So Stalin had killed his second wife. His daughter Svetlana flees to America. Olga Ivana is like, my daughter was named Svetlana. She was like, around your age. We're like, destined to be together. Right. Like, you should marry this guy. So she kind of convinces Svetlana too to marry Wes Peters and fulfill her role as the other Svetlana. As a reincarnate that she does not know about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah as Svetlana squared. Yeah. And it's really sad because Svetlana would say, like, Wes P after Wes Peters dies, Svetlana too says that he never said he loved her. Jeez. So they, like, oh married and God. had a child, but it was this thing where it was, like, out of duty and not out of love. And so she was like, I don't even know if he liked me. What oh, my God. God. Yikes. It's pretty fucking dark, you guys. This is yeah. like her arranging marriages, basically. Yeah, and the thing is, too, is like, we're not even going to get into, like, Wright built the Guggenheim, he built the Johnson Wax Museum. All these things had these, like, horrible structural issues. They were way over budget. <laughs> over and over again, the common factor is that Frank Lloyd Wright believes that the rules of the universe do not apply to him, including things like gravity. Yeah, I was going to say gravity. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of his whole deal. He's just like, well, I don't have to listen to it. Like the Guggenheim design, if you've ever seen it, it's essentially a spiral building where the top of the building is actually bigger. It looks like a funnel. And like structurally, it just is not a good design. He didn't want to include any lighting elements. He like argued with the guy. Luckily, he died before they finished building it, so they included light. But it's meant to be an art museum, and he didn't want to include any artificial light because he's a fucking insane person. I just remember there was that Frank Gehry building because all of Frank Gehry's buildings are all the, like, metal sides. And it's the one, I think it's in Florida on one of the college campuses. And they had to go back and, like, recode it because the metal yep. was, like, burning the buildings. It was melting cars yeah. across the street. <laughs> yes. Because it was so high. It's like stuff it would like bounce that. Off. Yes. When it, like, got towards a certain time of day, it would, like, burn the cars across the street. So they, like you said, Paige, they, I thought they, like, dulled it, like, sand it. They yeah, they, it. they had to some, do something to the surface. But Outside, it's stuff like that, just yeah. impractical craziness that I kind of love and also hate. Yeah, he, I mean, he just fully, he was like, I don't know, we'll build all the concrete, like, fuck it. And then people would be like, hey, we need to add structural support. And he, like, would argue with people. The Johnson, the Johnson Wax um, headquarters is actually in Racine, Wisconsin. I've actually been there because a friend of mine worked there when I went to school in Milwaukee during an internship. So I, like, gave him a ride there randomly. So it's really weird to, like, read about and be like, oh, my God, I've been there. But famously, when he designed the skylights, instead of doing like a plate of glass, he decided he was going to use these circular glass tubes and just put them real close together. And everyone's like, yeah, no, it'll rain. And he's what? like, yeah, he's a fucking idiot, dude. He's like, but it'll look real cool. 
literally not a solid thing. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Yeah. He stays so, hating roofs. He even stays when there's hating roofs. roofs. That's why he, but also because he never wants to have lights anywhere. So that's why he doesn't like roofs because yeah. they provide shade yeah. as well as shelter. His whole thing too is he's like, well, we'll caulk it. And if you've ever caulked anything anywhere where winter happens, like caulk shrinks and changes shape over time, mm -hmm. especially caulk yes, in 1950. So it just was not an effective sealant. The roof leaked almost immediately. Everyone told him it was going to leak. His, yeah. the, the apprentice that he like put in charge of the project was like, I'm going to just change this real quick. And right, like flew into a rage, threatened to quit the project. Like he basically threw a fucking temper tantrum if they wouldn't keep his shitty design. And then it fucking leaked immediately. Over something like irrationally, clearly a bad idea. Yeah. That's just his MO the whole time. He just throws these wild temper tantrums and everyone puts up with it because of his genius, which was not genius. He's a fucking idiot. All his buildings were bad. Oh, well, man. like even the idea, like the idea, like you're saying even about the deck in Falling Water or the idea of those like beautiful illusion decks that like you're saying at some point that weight jutting out has to be supported by something. Yeah. And that's like the lady, the first lady that Elizabeth Holmes had as a professor being like, yes. oh, that's a great idea, but it's impossible. Right. So you I can like that you think you can do this, but no. <laughs> right. In terms of like his genius, it's like you make beautiful drawings of buildings that are impossible. So like you should have been a building illustrator or something or, like, or, an artist, or just finished up the engineering parts of your architecture degree so that you could actually yeah. make the things that you want to design the thing yeah. was is if he had made any sort of compromises and any sort of like if he had been like look i have this cool idea i think it'll be dope i don't know how to do it i as an artist have had when I worked for the same glass studio I worked for, we'd have artists come in all the time and they'd be like, hey, I want to make this thing. I don't know how to make it. You seek professional help and you collaborate because you understand your own limitations. But Frank Lloyd Wright did not understand and would not accept his own limitations. And that is the problem with his buildings is if he had like allowed any sort of engineering to compromise his, his like first vision and understood that mm. in practice, in order for the building to stand and function, things have to change. I think he could have been a really great architect, but his narcissism stopped that from happening. On July 14th, 1958, at the age of 90, Frank Lloyd Wright designed his own tomb. It was an opposing mausoleum across the road from the original Taliesin complete with a long row of ordinary graves for his apprentices. <laughs> the <laughs> fucking idea. Oh my God, he's trying he's to go out like a pharaoh. pharaoh. Yeah. yeah. Pharaohs didn't even have people's bodies as accessories. Like they, oh, these they were just buried like, with a their lot servants. Of them did. Yeah. yeah. A lot of them buried with their servants um even yeah. uh oh f that i would be so mad you're right too Paige, because they thought that they wanted them there for the afterlife right. to also help them then yeah oh my gosh i forgot about that that's so annoying yeah that's why emotep <laughs> has all his like mummy buddies in the mummy yes <laughs> the, oh, the mummy, mummy. 
mummy, also, mummy buddies sounds <laughs> like a really fun cartoon. That's our new. <laughs> we should just have like a group where we like watch horror movies that aren't that scary, like the mummy, and just like cuddle our cats and eat sweets, and we'll just be the mummy oh buddies. I love, I it. love that it. That sounds great because also I fucking love the it's mummy. So good. <laughs> I love it. Absolutely. I'm on a horror podcast, and every time I'm like, "What if we did the mummy?" People are like, "Fuck you, fuck <laughs> you." Get no, I like. Out. Come on, he turns into a mouth swarm of bees. It's pretty scary. Yeah, it's just um... like Candyman. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> oh shit! But no, that is so. The idea of someone blaming you for their sinking structure and then being like, oh, I have a tomb for you. Like, <laughs> get the fuck out of here. If you're not here. doing yeah. anything else, if you're not busy, I've got this tomb. You're welcome to. <laughs> well, they were just like ordinary graves. Like, they were just like, he was like, oh, yeah, and you guys can go here. And I'll give you like a gravestone or whatever. But like, he for himself, he had like this beautiful mausoleum design. It's fucking Did anyone crazy. take him up on it? Is anyone buried there? I don't think so. From what I read, I would love if there was one, if there was ten graves and they were all blank, and then there was just like one, <laughs> like three, like Gary. Yes, just like the most loyal. Is this what we Like usually, more people show up to these. <laughs> uh, Last week was packed. <laughs> I think that Wes Peters might have been buried on the property because he owned the property. Like mm. at the time of his death, Wes Peters owned a huge portion of Taliesin, but it was tied up in the Taliesin Trust. So even though that's where he lived and even though he financially had gone broke contributing to it, he didn't have a real stake in it. It was really messed up. It was really confusing. Actually, well, I wonder how he felt about Frank Lloyd Wright when he died because I can see, one, not having anywhere else for your body to be buried, but also being like, oh no. <laughs> You're burying me right here. Like, yeah. This asshole with all my money, I will haunt this ground for the rest of my life. I'm just picturing the petty him thing to in, do. Yeah, like an Angela Bassett pulling him out of the mausoleum, yeah. torching his body on the front lawn, and then having himself buried in it. Yes. Oh, oh my snap. God. That was exactly what I was going to say. I'm glad that Jordan like, and yeah. I were on the same wavelength with this. We're like, he's dead. He's not going to miss it. Exactly. He'll have no idea. You both went like waiting to exhale yes. with your Frank Lloyd Wright revenge. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I wish that's what happened, but it's not. <laughs> it's not. Um, in the months after designing his own tomb, Wright suffered a small stroke and cataracts and started not being able to see anymore. On April 5th, 1959, Wright's son David arrived to tell him that his first wife, Catherine, had been cremated. Why didn't you tell me, Wright asked. You never showed any interest, he replied. Four days later, Wright himself would die from a burst gallbladder. Oh, wow. So it's kind of fucked oh, up. Really? He was 90 whoa yeah he made it freaking forever mm -hmm. yeah he made it he almost he is it's like almost to his 91st birthday he made it it's God, pretty impressive he was standing longer than some of his houses <laughs> yeah actually <laughs> they were yeah. badly constructed yeah so a lot of his homes actually were like leveled too just because people were like there's too many there's too many repairs like i can't afford to repair this and so a lot of his buildings actually were destroyed just because they like 
Um, After his death, they were like, well, I can't afford this. There's nowhere to put my clothes. Oh. Yeah. And all the furniture was bolted down. So <laughs> if you wanted to redecorate. Down in with no roof. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. You can't even stick a piece of paper underneath it. It's bolted to the crooked ass ground. <laughs> These shims oh, yeah, are useless. <laughs> I can't. Another thing is, no way. A lot of the walls were concrete too, so like, you couldn't even really put pictures up. It was like a whole fucking. He didn't thing. put any picture rails in. They didn't have command hooks back then. Yeah, what I are don't you gonna know do? What, the, what he did. I mean, you can you well, can drill into concrete, but it sucks. You can, oh, yeah. but at the time that he should have been learning how to design houses, picture rails were a huge thing. Like this was a mm-hmm. big. And that is about a foot down from the root or from the ceiling. There is a exactly what it sounds like, but it's kind of like a crown molding that you can hang your paintings from. And so paintings, if you look at this time and before, it's all wire hung. They almost look like gallery, like the way that galleries yeah. hang on. Oh. But they're from the ceiling, essentially. I didn't know that. That's so cool. Yeah, but I mean, he never knew how high that ceiling was going to be. Yeah, he had no clue. He's like, will it be even nothing down? Will it be six <laughs> feet? Will it be three feet? Is it going to have a roof at all? They make a chair rail and just add someone's knees. No one can see these pictures. They're on the ground. What's going on? It's so you can commune with nature. There's no floor. Shut the fuck up. So I promise we're almost done. Uh, we're just, there's a little bit, there's a little bit of an afterward. So after okay. Wright's death, Olga Ivana restructured the fellowship, placing herself at the head and cutting out anyone who was disloyal to her. <laughs> like some type of mafia shit. <laughs> or like a lady cult leader. Like if you ever follow cults Absolutely. where it's a couple and the guy dies, that like behind every creepy cult leader man is a woman who's secretly been running the show for years and can't wait for her time to shine because like that is it happens every time yes that is exactly like, what was going the on head, here. but the woman is the neck and the neck is from the exorcist <laughs> <laughs> oh my god oh thank you, you big fat great wedding <laughs> yes I actually got both those references. Yay! <laughs> I'm so excited. Um, yeah, so before Wright's death, like, Wright and Olga Ivana were getting in these, like, major fights. And a big part of it is that, like, Olga Ivana, Gurdjieff, had, Georgie Gurdjieff had died. And Olga Ivana basically, like, took over his teachings. And with her daughter, Iovana, was teaching those, like, weird dances that they used to do. And so she's like traveling around teaching these dances. She's gaining her own followers that believe in her ideas about the soul or whatever. She wrote a book and Frank Lloyd Wright at one point was so jealous about her book that they got in this like wildly abusive screaming match and he threatened to like leave her and she was like, I'm going to, I'm going to divorce you. Like they just were like almost about to break up. And then Wright was like, Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, you're just such a genius. And like, I don't want to share it with anyone else, but he really could not stand that she had anything of her own going. Mm -hmm. So you're exactly right. This is her time to shine. She is like, yes, it's mine now. Motherfucker's dead. Um, Shortly after stomped out, but there were no doors. Oh, yeah. And they were so short. Um, 
You have to like kind of hunch to get out. <laughs> anyone over six, like anyone over like five eleven, had to pretty much duck to leave Wright's buildings because the doors were so short. It's actually it's a real problem. Like his Oak Park house, if you've ever visited it, it's just weird. Oh my goodness! So what you're saying is, no one that I have ever dated or been romantically interested in could enter or leave any of these buildings. Yes, yes, yes. Great. Most cool, of cool, my cool, partners cool, cool, cool. actually would be just fine because most of the men I've dated are not over five nine, except for one. Um, <laughs> shortly after Wright's death, the foundation received a seven-page document from the IRS, and they're pretty mad. And the reason is. At the time of his death, Wright was collecting on average $90,000 a year in architectural fees, $8,000 a year in farm income, and $27,000 a year in tuition for the entirety of the fellowship's existence. He was collecting all this money and claiming he had no income, that it was tax-exempt status, and not filing any taxes. The IRS argued that Taliesin was not an architectural school, but he means to further the extravagant lifestyle of Frank Lloyd Wright and his family. And they were absolutely correct. There was no evidence, they said, that it was an educational institution as Wright held no formal classes, save a random Sunday lecture. And therefore, they would have to pay 17 years of claimed tax exemption, back taxes, interest and penalties, which amounted to about six million dollars. Holy shit. Six million dollars in 1959. Right. Holy shit. So, okay. For, that's roughly 20 million dollars in today's really? money. Really? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so much fucking money, dude. And the thing is, too, is like, they all kept claiming, like, Wright didn't really keep good records of anything. And they kept claiming, like, oh, all our records burned down in a fire so that they wouldn't have to f- show them. But, like, there's no evidence of that. So they're just like, you owe us this much. Mm-hmm. So trying to make everything right, trying to make everything work, <laughs> Olgivana sold much of Wright's art collection, including a Georgia O'Keeffe painting that had been on loan from the artist. She actually, after Wright's oh death, God. like, asked for it returned. And Olgivana was like, it was a gift. We're keeping it. And then she sold it. I just sometimes low-key love when, like, rich respected people do trifling ass shit (laughs) i just want to be on the georgia o'keefe episode i want to talk about vagina flowers i am here for it so tacky yeah it's pretty pretty tacky georgia o'keefe was like hey can i have that painting back and they were like nah and then she sold it and then hawked it (laughs) yeah the foundation limped on at, an uns- at the unsteady hands of Olga Ivana Wright until her death from tuberculosis in 1987? Not syphilis? Whoa. How? Whoa, what? No, that's an <laughs> old-timey disease. Yeah, I guess she was never vaccinated. <laughs> oh, jeez. What? That's like if she I died of plague now. Oh, yeah, God. it's super weird. And like, so what happened after his death is that they were like, oh, shit, we need money. And so all the former apprentices were like scrambling. They're like, well, we can still do work like we can still do stuff. But the problem was that because Wright was so against any of his students receiving even the smallest amount of public praise, there were no names to continue his legacy. Like no one mm-hmm. could say, oh, I studied under Frank Lloyd Wright and I'm like really great or whatever. There were only like two licensed architects that were still apprentices and so Olgivana tried to start this like 
uh, Frank Lloyd Wright architectural whatever, but only like two or three guys could even do anything. And one guy, Jack Howe, had become really good at imitating Frank Lloyd Wright's style. But the problem was just that people didn't really believe that because Frank Lloyd Wright was gone that anyone could carry on his legacy. And the other problem was that Olga Ivana was constantly... Olga Ivana, someone who has like no real experience in architecture, was constantly micromanaging their designs and would veto designs because she like didn't like the colors. Like she was the worst fucking boss. I have had bosses like this where they're like, Ooh. they have no artistic training and they're like, let me tell oh you how God. to do it. I think this needs to be purple. And you're like, you're a fucking idiot. Oh I just, my gosh. So I legitimately had one boss that was like, I don't like the color red for those curtains. And I was like, okay, how about orange? Okay, how about yellow? Okay, I named every single color and he said no to all of them. And I just said, okay, I don't know what color you want it to be then. And he goes, teal. And I was like, okay, well, I would consider that green, but okay. Or like, <laughs> yeah, like somewhere in the blue-green spectrum. Rich right? people who inherit artistic companies are bad at running them because they are not artists and they don't know what they're doing. That is just facts. They're going to do some dumb shit like this. That's what Olga Ivana did to her students. It's really fucking annoying. But also, even the guys that were left, what stories do they have to tell? Like, yeah, I'm an accomplished architect, and he yelled at me once for trying to make a skylight sound. Like, you have nothing <laughs> yeah. that Ogivana would want people sharing a bunch. It's not yeah. like What'd you no learn at architecture story. school? Cooking? Farming? <laughs> Of the thousands of apprentices who came to Taliesin hoping hoping to learn architecture, only a few went on to achieve significant professional recognition in any sort of capacity. And a lot of them were people that left early on and recognized it was a grift and just had to like make their own way. Um, in 1987, let's see, Taliesin East and Taliesin West both continue to exist today as tourist attractions and testaments to Wright's ego. In 1987, after Olgivana's death, now leader, this is the best name ever, Dick Carney. <laughs> Wait, who is that? His name is Dick Carney. I don't know, but I think he can set up a Ferris wheel with his cock. <laughs> <laughs> he became the leader of the fellowship. Oh, the new leader of the fellowship. He became the new leader of the fellowship. And this is, oh, this is such a beautiful mwah, moment. In 1987, Carney actually turned it into an architecture school for the first time called the Frank Lloyd Wright School of Architecture. Frank Lloyd Wright is such a fucking piece of shit. And he made me so mad. And like, I couldn't even get into all his anti-Semitism. He was like, he went during World War II. He was kind of like, I don't understand why the British and Germans got to fight each other. They're part of the same race. We should be on the same side. Like he was a real piece of shit. I like, you know, it's hardcore when you have three parts on someone and there's too much manipulation and abuse for you to mention. To get to the, the anti-Semitism. Anti <laughs> we didn't really get to get into the anti-Semitism. <laughs> yeah, and Jesus. I mean- 
other crazy shit happened, like some apprentices, because Wright was so verbally abusive, and a lot of apprentices came there essentially with nowhere else to go. Like their parents had kicked them out or didn't accept them either because they were homosexual or because they were artists or because they didn't have any money and they came from poor families. And so like in a lot of ways, Taliesin became their home. And if Frank or Olgivano would like reject them, a few students like committed suicide. So it's pretty fucking dark. Um, because they would like get mad on these like crazy things and just like kick people out and have yeah. temper tantrums I mean, and stuff. This episode definitely had the most information to explain to listeners why it's a crossover. Thank you so much for that amazing three part episode, Andrea. Is there anything else? No, I mean. So much crazy shit happened. Like there are things that I can't even get into because it's crazy, but I feel like I hit the highlights and I feel pretty solid about it. The highlights nice. slash the lowlights. <laughs> yeah. We highlight the lowlights. Yeah. The page, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks oh for God. having me. This, this was, was amazing. So much fun. Like I it's always fun doing these, but it was extra fun having one more awesome person to <laughs> make jokes with about. And honestly, I'm sad that I never got to see the tortured art of old Ivana's stepson who got blamed for killing his mom with a kitten. But maybe we'll yeah. do an episode on him at some point, too. Um, <laughs> it sounds like the origin story of a guy with dating college. Um, thank you all so much for listening to another episode of Pavant Guard. Um, this has been part three of Frank Lloyd Wright. Um, if you like listening to us and want to make sure that you never miss another episode, you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Pavant Guard, P O D V A N T G A R D E. Um, oh, yeah. And if you like me as an individual, I'm Katrina. You can follow me at Katrina Savad. Just S I V A D. It's Davis backwards on everything. Oh, and also, guys, I just started our Patreon. So if you Yay. go to Patreon.com/slash Podvantgard, um, you'll find the join button link thing. Our goal right now is to be able to pay our wonderful editor Elliot and uh, also pay him for bonus episode content. So look for that. It'll be probably more loosely us kind of just talking about art and history news. And we're going to start off yeah, with- Yeah, we a rant hard and that shit's intimate. You want to get in on it. <laughs> yeah, you'll get all our business and all our personal shit. Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be real fun. And if you like me personally, you can follow me on Instagram at Andrea Gazetta. And I have my own Patreon for my art with exclusive stickers and cool stuff at patreon.com slash Andrea Gazetta. Sorry. <laughs> I got distracted. Um, yeah, no, we would love to be able to play an editor as we have started a podcast war with uh, the boys from This Is Not A Show. Yes. Uh, they have put out their call to arms. And since we are a little bit behind, uh, nobody's going to know that we know that this is happening for a few weeks. Uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I'm Jordan... Know. <laughs> I'm Jordan Lee Williams. Uh, I forgot to mention why I sound like this at the start of the episode. Uh, I did not drink a gallon of cigarette water. I just have a cold. 
Um, and if you like me and dollhouses and, uh, you know, I don't know, textiles or something, I'm at the Goonie Bird and I might be changing my art account Instagram name. So we'll see. You can find me at the Goonie Bird, though. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, if you like listening to me, Paige Wesley, a cigarette water tycoon, uh, <laughs> you can listen to me on Cult Podcast, Horror Virgin, Romancing the Pod, and Blackheart Rehab is coming back as well. Uh, you can follow me at Paige Wesley on Twitter or at Rampage Wesley on Instagram and TikTok. And this has been so much fun. Thank you for having me. Oh, we Paige, love you, you're Paige. so cool. If you want to follow Paige's full journey on never sleeping because she's recording a podcast at every waking moment, please follow I'm her on social like, media. I'm going to end this recording and enter another recording. <laughs> I do I do want to have you just at least fly, fly the idea, Paige. Let me know. Get back to me about you doing a podcast with Paige from Trading Spaces. I, right? <laughs> you, right? Where we just talk about, like, roofs. Important, right? <laughs> Are they, though? I don't know. <laughs> Are they, though? Tune in to Paige's Cruise podcast to find out. <laughs> Paige just starts another podcast. Oh my god, my husband will murder me. Murder. Thanks for your busy pod schedule. And thank you all for listening to another episode. And we will see you or see you. We'll hear you next time. We won't hear you either. <laughs> thank you and we'll listen next time. Goodbye. We love you. you. Bye. Hey guys, Andrea here. Um, I'm asking for your help a little bit today because Jordan, Katrina, and I are all comedians and artists who don't have any experience editing sound. And because this is a sound-based medium, we have asked an editor to help us with our episodes. Um, we had a few issues early on with some of the early recordings and we're working on getting those sorted out. Um, and Part of that is just having an audio engineer. So in order to be able to actually pay him and pay him a fair rate, uh, we're asking for your help. We've set up a Patreon, patreon.com slash podvantgarde. And our goal is that we can pay him not from our own pockets, but from the resources of the show itself, which means we need your help. Um we're also planning on starting to release bonus episodes. We'll start with one a month. Um, and as that Patreon rate increases, we'd like to eventually expand that to a bonus episode every week. And the bonus episodes will be more, um, a little bit more loose fit. We'll be covering art, uh, like current events and weird things that happen because there's a lot of like weird stuff going on in the art world right now, um, especially around NFTs, especially around AI. And I think it's really interesting and worth talking about, but we just need to be able to pay someone to edit that bonus content. Um, I would also say that in terms of the time cost, you know, Katrina, Jordan, and I all are supporting ourselves outside of this show. This show takes a lot of time. I'm probably spending at least three days a week with every episode, just researching. We're buying books. 
um, Katrina's editing the time codes. She's building our website. She's doing all our social media. Jordan is also researching her own episodes. And my goal for the Patreon is just that it can become something that you know, we're not looking to get rich. I don't think that's ever been our goal. I don't think we ever think that could be our goal. But what I'd like to be able to happen eventually is that the Patreon can become a way for us to just pay ourselves a living wage for the time that we invest into this show. My experience uh, with Cult Podcast um, is that it's really hard to make a show every single week and not have other financial resources. So what I want is that this Patreon can eventually become a financial resource for us. It can help us support ourselves and it can help us to continue putting the show out so that we don't get burnt out and want to pull our hair out. Um, we love you so much and we think that the show is really important. I personally think that we need more podcasts that cover history and art history from a feminist, anti-colonial queer perspective and that's where we're coming from as artists and as art historians and comedians we love you we love this show thank you so much for supporting it that's again at patreon.com slash and thanks guys <laughs>